In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts clinch first place in the East Division with a 24-23 win over the Montreal Alouettes. And before we get going, JB, I just want to apologize to our listeners that this post-game podcast is coming to you a little late this week. Uh, I was a little under the weather and uh, am... Uh, alive and well, and so uh, we finally get this to you Monday night. But again, apologies for the delay. And uh, JB, let's let's go through the game. But before we even get to the game, I, I just I actually want to play a clip from back in April because we're you know we're right sometimes, we're wrong a lot, and every time that we actually get something right, I like to celebrate it. And so I just want to I want to play a clip uh, from our predictions episode way back on April twelfth as to how this season, this regular season, would end for the Toronto Argonauts. Toronto goes into Montreal, they get that win. I think they clinch first in the East with that win. And then going into week 21, back at BMO against Montreal, I've got that one as a loss because I think they're resting guys. Yeah, same. That's, I mean, you know, based on what we have, that, that you know, this, this last game shouldn't matter. All right, our final tally. So I have the Argos going 11 and 7. So JB, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And uh, yeah, we managed to we managed to get that one pretty close. Uh, here we go coming into the final week of the season. The Argonauts clinched as way back in April. We thought they, they would in Montreal. And now they get to, to rest players coming into this week. So it's just kind of cool to listen back and see that. Now... There's a lot of clips from that episode I am not going to play where we were really, <laughs> really wrong. It ended how it ended. And so, yeah, the Argos uh, at currently sitting at 11 and 6 in a great spot. And uh, yeah, it's just such a relief to clinch the game with the second last season. It would have been so stressful heading into this week, knowing that that game, like for, for both teams, obviously it, it changes things because, you know, now Montreal can kind of step off the gas a little bit too. But it would have been, it would have been extremely stressful coming into this week knowing what was hanging in the balance it it wouldn't have helped for it wouldn't have helped for you know for for east final ticket sales or anything like that as well knowing now exactly what's happening and if you haven't heard the east final tickets are, are i believe already on sale and the date is uh november 13th and that's a one o'clock start so that is already wrapped up that is uh already available uh, as i understand it and yeah, excellent that they can now spend a few weeks focusing on, you know, what to do with whoever they face in the in the East Final. And that's going to either be the Hamilton Tiger Cats or the Montreal Alouettes. Again, two teams that the Argos know very well by now. Let's get into this game, JB. Those first few drives, I thought, were hugely important. Remember, Montreal starts the game with a really solid drive. They, they throw a pick. Uh, Toronto ends up with the two and out. Montreal comes storming right back down the field and they turn it over on downs at the Toronto one yard line. Let's let's just talk about that because in some ways that really set the tone for the game. This game could have gone far differently if they score on one or both of those possessions. Yeah, I'm I'm in favor of aggressive coaching. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I know Montreal felt 
that it was a kitchen sink game and they had to go all out to win. But uh, I don't I don't understand the interception on third down. I don't understand going on third on goal. Uh, you know, you're at home, kick two field goals. Uh, you know, get get the scoring started. I, you know, I I didn't understand either of those calls to be honest, especially after the other third down turned into an interception. Uh, very very weird calls. I felt like that was more reckless than it was aggressive. I don't I don't get that at all. I think you want to put points on the board. I agree with you on the first one. So it was third and four on the Toronto 15 and that's where uh, that that's where Harris ended up getting picked off by Jonathan Jones I kick a field goal on that one third and four from the 15 you started off with three points I I respect the aggressive play calling I like it I'm I'm rarely gonna say I hate that move because far too often we see it go the other way where coaches are far too conservative so when a coach is aggressive you know I'll applaud that I would have kicked a field goal there the second one though I think from the one yard line I just feel like you have to go and and you're Montreal, so you know what you. I, I think you absolutely have to go. I'm not sure why Antwi is your ball carrier in that situation on the one yard line. I think just I, I know Dominic Davis has been shut down the last couple of weeks on short yardage, and he, he was the the play before that he only got a yard, but. That Montreal O-line is pretty good. I know they had to change at center, and that did prove to be a little bit of a problem, but I do go for it on... I just don't think you can kick a field goal from the one-yard line. I, 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 So if I were Montreal, I wouldn't have... I would have kicked the first field goal. Second one, I'd go for it, and, you know, maybe maybe you fail. But let's talk about those two plays from an Argos point of view. How about Jonathan Jones with that with that pick at the 10-yard line and then taking it back 40 yards? That was, that was pretty awesome to see. Amazing. Yeah, you know, it... I'll get this off my chest now. I was more than a little irritated by the TSM broadcast who kept going on and on and on and on the whole game about the 10 points Montreal gave up as if, you know, Montreal forgot the T in the, in the change room or something. I mean, Toronto (laughs) was a key component of stopping those plays. It, It was not wasted points by Montreal. I mean, Toronto just made great plays. So that, irritated me to no end that they kept talking about this as blown mistakes because I thought the Jones pick was fantastic. It was like perfect, perfectly played. He fanned out and took away the slant and uh, game changer. Now that was a very early challenge uh, that that we saw from Montreal from uh, from Coach Machocha who felt like there was pass interference on that play. How did you see that one? Yeah. Well, much, you know, like we've talked about, there's right and then there's likely to be overturned. Right. And you, you're right. I think you could argue in a vacuum there was some pass interference, but they're never going to give you that call because then they would have to call 100 more times in the game. They're just It's just not going to get called as pass interference um, down in the red zone, you know, and and I don't think anybody wants the game called that tight. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, and and you can't have that. You can't have the game called that tight. And it reminded me when I saw it. It reminded me of the challenge that Coach Dinwiddie made in Edmonton a couple of weeks ago, where or last week. I don't even know where we are right now. It it was it, like you said. It's the it's the correct thing, and we've seen pass interference call. We've seen that flag thrown on similar contact, but it's just not a play that is going to get overturned. It was you know there was a little grab, a little pull. If there had been a flag on that play, I would have been annoyed by it, but I would have understood it, 
And had Coach Dimity then challenged the pass interference, it, it would have stood anyway. Yeah, it, it, it for right, for sure. You have to be able to pick the calls that are going to stay as are, right? Like, if that had been a flag, they would have left it as a flag. When it wasn't a flag, they're not going to change that. That It just has to be way more drastic to overturn the call on the field. Let's talk about Jonathan Jones. So it was a great return, but great coverage too. He was all over his guy. He was able to get his head around like a receiver does. He picked that ball. It wasn't it wasn't a clean, clean catch. He did sort of double clutch it, but then he turned up field and, and got 40 yards on that. I actually thought for a moment that he might go because you can't, you know, on the TV angle that I was watching from, I couldn't see uh, the, the, the angle that everyone else had, but uh, yeah, what a what a great return, and and they completely stole the momentum there. Because had they converted there, I believe Montreal probably goes in and scores just because they have that momentum. But yeah, it was a, it was a huge swing. How did you think he he played this game? Because they went, they it felt to me they went far more with Jones this week than last week, where it was a lot a lot of Jones on first down, Hoyt on second down. I, I felt like Jones got a lot more time in this game. Yeah, I thought I thought he played pretty well. Um, he he still can get caught on on cutbacks and um bouncing outside because he's he's reading run quickly and he's and he's hitting the middle quickly but you know i mean he's he's a backup linebacker if your backup linebacker was winton mcmanus you'd be a pretty ridiculous team so there's, i mean there's going to be a drop off uh but i thought he played well i thought he was great on the goal line stands to pick obviously um you know, besides the occasional bounce outside and run, I thought he was great in run. I mean, he's he's a big, strong guy. Uh, I thought he played really well as as a, a backup linebacker. I was, I don't think you could ask much more uh, out of him. I talked about this a little bit on a piece I wrote for Three Down Nation. They seem to have, I guess, been able to benefit from, from some film study on Jones. So going to Edmonton last week, Edmonton didn't really have much on Jones. Some preseason tape, there wasn't really a, a lot to look at. But then having a full game's worth of tape, you can really see how, I think in this specific example, just looking at one isolated player, because I think it's sometimes difficult for people to understand listening when we talk about how important film study is. And now that there's tape, how is someone going to handle it? We talk about it a lot with quarterbacks. Like now that they've had a few games in the league, let's see how defenses play them. Well, let's see how a team deals with this offense. How can that affect an individual player? Having a full tape, full games tape on Jonathan Jones, how can that affect the way that Montreal goes about attacking him? Yeah, I mean, you look at how he reacts to run. And I mean, look, he's going to have, you're looking for key um, or common uh, flaws and and that of course had a linebacker that you if you're the backside linebacker that maybe you're overplaying run you're overplaying the initial read uh, you're not scraping well so that the the bounce out or the off tackle run is there and or the cutback run is there and and I think they saw that that if you give him a look like middle run he is going to hit middle run uh, the same way you know a backup DB might shoot screens all day and never really respect the the hitch and go or what have you. So, yeah, I think he fell into that because it's tough out there. I mean, that's the hardest part. I mean, that's why finding a great linebacker is so difficult because you're asking them to read and process information so quickly where even, you know, 0.5 seconds too long, and now you've got somebody on the second level washing you out, and it's a big run. So, you know, kudos to Montreal. I mean, they clearly saw that, but and that 
that's going to be hard to fix. I mean, I think you probably only fix that by um, bringing Wint McManus back. It's like having a corner and they're like, well, on film, he's not good in one-on-one. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's not, you're not going to change that in two weeks of practice. Um, that's why you have starters and backups. But uh, yeah, it is. I mean, kudos to Montreal. Clearly, when you watch the game, they attacked different aspects that Toronto um, had had some issues with. Yeah, and I, I think to your point, it shows you how lucky Toronto is to have a player like Wyndham McManus and why he's so good, why he should be the defensive player of the year because he doesn't have those. You know, it, it's not like there's no film on Wyndham McManus. There's film on Wyndham McManus. There's film on guys like Enoch Mwamba, but there aren't weaknesses that you're able to exploit week to week where you can say, well, we just do this and he can't do that. And that's that's why they're so special when you have a player like that. And it's not not all starters. Like you talk about the difference between starters and, and backups. Not all starters are like that. You can pick on a lot of starters, but it's really special when you find a player and there's all sorts of tape and coaches are like, I don't know, let's just, why don't we run the ball somewhere else? I, I really like the how, even though he wasn't, Super great at it, but I love that um, outside C gap blitz from from Jones as well. I mean, he could have killed that quarterback if he had not paused for a second on the on the handoff. Uh, that I like too. Sometimes you know, sometimes you can compensate by you know if you're reading if you know if they're going to run off tackle, well, I'm going to blitz off tackle, and that way if, if that's the way you're coming, then that, then we're already here. So. Maybe you you work a little more of that in because he he had a free release. They they nobody picked him up, so that that's one to keep an eye on for sure. And I think the Argos, the in, in sort of self study, they also learn about their own players, guys that they haven't seen in game situations that much. You get to see what they're good at. Maybe it's something that they look at and they're like, "Hey, you realize how good Jones is at disguising a blitz or timing his uh, timing his rush or or whatever it is." Um, although I will say, I, I when I when you've got a free release off the edge. I almost want to see a gamble when there's play action there. I almost want to see you just decide I'm going to annihilate player yeah, A I or mean, B. That has to be the read. Like, you know, it's like it's like playing option rules football. If you're the linebacker coming, your read is quarterback and running back is somebody else's problem. Yeah, I agree. And so I did I want to I want to see I want to see a player get blown up when you get a free release like that, not you get a free release and then make a decision. And then I know, and then the they play. did stupid play where he p- passed it to him and they ran for like fifty yards. I was like, "Oh my god, that was yeah. such a stupid that that was, that was such a ridiculous play." Well, instead of instead of going, well, we're, we've got caught up in in so much stuff here. We're still in this, I guess, second drive of the game technically. But let's let's just talk since you brought it up. Let's talk about that play, and then we'll get back on track here. That was such a frustrating turning point in the game. There were a few sort of momentum issues I felt in this game, and that was one where Trevor Harris was completely wrapped up. And Walter Fletcher didn't even, he wasn't, he turned around, basically decided that the play was over. He had his hands down at his side. He didn't think there was any way he was getting the ball. And somehow Trevor Harris just kind of flicks it to him. Fletcher reacts quickly, catches the ball, and then runs 50 yards downfield. That was such a, that was such a a terrible turning point in the game. It's so depressing as a defense to know that you were within, not even just within a second, within like tenths of a second of that being blown dead or you tackling Harris to the ground and somehow it not only turns into not a sack, it turns into a 50-yard gain. That was uh, that was uh, pretty crushing because 
you look at, you know, you mentioned this one when we were talking about it. You see the passing yards that Montreal was able to produce in this game, uh, chalking up 413 yards. Well, it's because you've got plays like that, you know, 50 yard, 59 yard uh, screenplay to Walter Fletcher. So that's that's 59 of it right there on what probably should have been a sack or at best for Montreal, an incomplete pass. And it ends up going for a 59 yard pass. So if you're looking for where these 413 yards came from, some of them came from weird plays like that. All right, let's get back on track here with our... So after the Jonathan Jones interception, that would have been a perfect time for... Toronto to strike. I I would have been in favor of one of those, I I guess, like sudden change deep shots there. That's what I wanted to see. And we got a pretty conservative two play calls as part of that two and out, which I didn't want to see from Coach Dinwiddie. And what he's doing, and we've seen this before, we talked about this a few times earlier this season too, Coach Dinwiddie likes to test out different looks early in games. A lot of coaches do. I like to do that as well. That's that's not unusual for, for offensive coordinators. But I feel like sometimes he favors testing out a look versus combining testing out a look with also running an efficient play or an attacking play that can get you the ball downfield. I just felt like Montreal was ripe for a deep pass on that play coming off that momentum swinging interception. I would love to have seen play action to Olette and then a deep bomb. And I think at worst, it stretches the defense out a little bit. And, you know, if you've got an incomplete pass and a second down. Instead, they ended up running on a first down play for four yards, which is fine. But really what the plan was, they ran it out of an unusual formation that I haven't seen Toronto run before. And clearly Coach Dinwiddie wanted to see how Montreal responded to that. How are they going to line up when we do this? They ended up not coming back to that play, not coming back to that formation. So clearly that wasn't. The, the look that, that Montreal gave them wasn't something Toronto felt like they could really take advantage of there. But, you know, stuff like that I do find a little frustrating. And then on the second down pass, as well as Bethel Thompson played, I thought, in this game, that second down pass was was terrible. It was, it was a hook to Banks that he threw off his back foot. It bounced to him about eight yards short. And I thought, oh, man, I hope this isn't hope this isn't one of these games for for McLeod Bethel Thompson, but he's just so streaky that he can do a few plays like that. And then a few minutes later, look like a Hall of Famer. So Montreal gets the ball back. They drive all the way down to the one. Let's talk about that goal line stand that the Argos made. So it's first and goal from the four. Stanbeck gets two yards. Then they they try Dominic Davis uh, on sort of a, a sneak type play for one yard. And then it's that third down run to Antwi. Uh, talk about what a, a huge effort that was, a huge stand that was by Toronto on, on you know, Montreal of all teams who are great at that that uh, third down and one conversion. Uh, that was amazing. It was. I mean, that's the word for it, especially, uh, you know, I, I, I can't believe they couldn't get in, really. It, it's shocking. Um Full credit to to the line and linebackers coming through. We thought Robbie Smith had an amazing uh, close down there. Uh, Muambo, of course, in the middle uh, goes to the defensive line. Really, we well we've talked about it. The Toronto has had a really good red zone defense all year. That when they need to bow up, uh, you know, five yards and in. They are not an easy. Now you can convert in the middle of the field, but when it comes down the red zone, they have not been a team 
that you, that have made it very easy to to score on. We've definitely turned a lot of plays into field goals. So that was, I mean, that was fantastic to see. And I love how you mentioned Robbie Smith. He, it's important that he gets a shout out on that because you don't often see a player on the edge like that impacting a one yard middle run, but he completely destroyed his guy. He was lined up with Calendar, I think, was at left tackle. And Smith had sort of outside leverage on him, but pushed this, you know, it's a, it's, Keller's not a, a small guy. You know, he's weighing somewhere around the 300-pound mark. And he annihilated him, pushed him into the gap that Antwi was supposed to run into. And Callender was was like facing Antwi by the time he got to the gap. Antwi ran right into him. And then Mwamba, who had sort of, uh, he was stacking up the center and the play was sort of off to his right side. He had that split second that was that was created by, by Antwi running into his own lineman. He had the wherewithal and the time to be able to now come into the actual gap that Antwi is now looking for. And now he stands up Antwi, and then Kassar comes around the outside and pulls Antwi's legs out from under him to keep that play short. But you've got, that's a whole team effort. That's what I loved about that defensive stand. It's everybody on the D-line is doing their part. You've got Hendricks diving, uh, doing sort of the dive and roll uh, into the middle, which really jams things up to begin with. But I think the, the blame lies with Montreal and not going with, a quarterback sneak. I, I've seen it so many times with Toronto early in the year. We remember the frustration in BC of them handing the ball off deep to to Harris on the one yard line. It's just got to be something shorter than that. It can't be something that takes any more time than a quarterback sneak because then you allow things like that to happen. On a quarterback sneak, you can't have the left tackle block up the hole that you're running into it's just not there's not enough time for that to happen so great play on Toronto's part but just a weird weird play call I thought on on Montreal's part but they're clearly getting self-conscious about not being able to get it in from the one over the the last couple weeks which they have been able to do all season so Toronto finally Responds. Their second drive looked a lot better than the first, but it just felt like the felt like a lot of the first quarter had gone by before Toronto got an actual drive together. And then it was one of those one of those magic moments where McLeod flipped the switch, where he looked so so off and disinterested in that first drive of the game, and then it's Hall of Fame McLeod Bethel Thompson on that second drive. So he goes five for five on the second drive. Can't miss anybody. Uh, goes down the field with a really nice pass to Gittins Jr. He gets Daniels for a 20-yard gain. Uh, Gittins Jr. again for 14 yards. Olette has uh, a, a completed pass in there too, or a completed pass to Olette. And then they get down uh, into a, a first and five situation. First and five, I don't like for the Argos. That hasn't been a position I've liked all year because I feel like first and first and goal from the five, I don't feel like that's a running situation to me. I feel like you've got to pass twice and then kick a field goal if both are incomplete. And they ran it on first down. They got two yards out of it, but that's why I don't like running on, on first and, and goal from the five because that's almost always what happens. Unless you get down to the one, then really you've thrown away that that first down call. You you with me on that strategy? You throw twice from the five? Um, uh, I'm not crazy about throwing down there, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I can I can live with that. Uh, I I I'm more. I'd rather just run it three times. 
I hate that. That's what Montreal did. They, they first to go for the floor and ran it three times into a wall. Sneak. I don't know why they were handing the ball off. I didn't understand that. So you say you get two plays to get basically say also, two plays. Let's run it down to the one. Back. You get the best running back in the end, in the CFL. It makes no sense to me at all. I know, but Toronto doesn't, and oh. they haven't had the same success. Although I will say, as of late, it has changed a lot. Yeah, because I... in this game. Toronto again saw another rushing touchdown, which is, it's a huge streak now that Toronto has going for for rushing touchdowns. And there was also a, another passing touchdown inside the inside the 25-yard line. So now McLeod Bethel-Thompson is, is 14 touchdowns to one interception inside the opponent's 25-yard line. But they've also got the rushing touchdowns to go along with that because they've now got, I believe it is now eight in the last nine games they've got rushing touchdowns after not having one to start the year it's funny when it comes down there i get more conservative about yeah i would say like i'm more like run run pass if you can't you get two shots at running it in and you can't get it in and then your third shot is a pass and the passing play they call it, I, I like. I like getting on the outside to Ambles. It's just tough to tackle a guy like that in space. Ends up ends up getting in fairly easily for the touchdown. That was that was nice to see. It wasn't it wasn't the biggest game we've seen from Ambles. Certainly in terms of uh, production, he only had four receptions for eighteen yards, but that was a, a huge touchdown for him. I don't know what to make of the fact that as much as McLeod got a lot of receivers involved. Ambles is usually a high target, high completion guy, like high percentage throws, but four receptions on seven targets, 18 yards, that just, it just wasn't, it wasn't his kind of day. And uh, I, you know, I, I, looking back and rewatching, it didn't really, it didn't really do anything for me. I just didn't see, other than Montreal is very familiar with, with his style of play. And they were trying to take away a lot of those, a lot of those short routes, those quick outs that, that Toronto likes to go to. And instead Toronto had some success going downfield. All right, back into uh, our uh, drive chart. We're, we're now into the second quarter. Toronto's leading seven, nothing. It, it got kind of dry for a spell there where nothing went on. It was such a, a sort of defensive battle. This felt like a playoff game to me where teams tighten up a little bit. And after that drive from Toronto, I, I didn't really feel like we saw too much uh, from the Argos. They, you know, they'd get a, a first down or two and then punt the ball away. Montreal would get a first down and then punt the ball away. Um, but this is where I was starting to get a little worried about special teams because the more punt returns you give Montreal, the more dangerous it becomes because it's it's like Russian roulette at some point. They're going to take one back big. What did you think of the way that they handled or did not handle Chandler Worthy? Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, the, I, I thought we would be better uh, at handling him. We've, I think we've been better in other games. Um, never let him change the game. So I have to give the I have to give them a nod for that. He 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 was able to be a factor. Um, not the deciding factor, but yeah, it was, I mean, that was why not to jump ahead, but that's why I disagreed with that midfield punt instead of the field goal is I didn't feel we had shown that we had worthy cold to the point where that punt made sense because then it didn't because then he ran it back to essentially where the punter was. Yeah, that's well, okay, well, let's talk about that play since since you brought it up. And we've obviously uh, don't have a problem with going out of order since that's been most of the podcast today. So 
Yeah, that so situationally, Toronto's on the 40-yard line looking at a field goal that that really would have extended things and and put this put Toronto up by 13 points at, at that stage. I, I don't I don't understand this play at all. I, I I think if Toronto is up by multiple scores, you're up by 24 at that point or something like that, then I maybe I get it, but I, I, st- I still wouldn't do it. I think if you've got Boris Beatty and you are on the other team's 40-yard line, that has to be a field goal attempt. And I know why I know why he punted the ball away. I know why Coach Dimity decided that. There's there's a, a number of reasons. Part of it is being burned before in Saskatchewan, the Mario Alford return. But that was on that was on a, a a huge field goal. That was right at the end of the half. That was like a 60, 61 yard attempt, I think it was. This is very different. 47 yards for Boris Beatty. To me, this is more a psychological thing. Like, what are you saying to Boris Beatty? What are you saying to your kicker and his confidence level when he's getting ready to go out there to kick a 47 yard field goal and you're like, no, let's let's punt this. I, I, I hate that. I don't know. I don't know if they thought about the BD inter, BD impact. It felt to me because it it came so quickly after the pin and the safety that there was just this feeling of well, if we can pin them back on the five again, then maybe we get another safety. Maybe we get a fumble touchdown. We seem to be dominating the line, um, and so it, because it was so close to that in my mind, they were like, well, we got this punter. Let's pin them again. And it just to me didn't didn't make sense because the uh, likelihood of pinning them down there perfectly just was not a huge percentage. You know, when you're that close, there's a reason why you don't punt that close. It's really hard to not end up um, with what happened, which is you get a return and then basically they're within five yards of where you punted the ball. Um, you know, especially with Worthy, who has shown himself to be a top punt returner. Um, I, I mean, I understand the idea of pinning them, but just a little too in love with the quarter, with the punter's ability. You know, he has not been, I know in practice, and they hope he's going to be more of a like a coffin corner kick guy, but he has not shown that to be the case. And so they kicked it and there was a big return and, you know, it, it ended up not, costing them the game but i yeah i'm gonna give that one uh i'm gonna give that one a no in my uh my strategy book yeah because they so again on the 40 like you're saying they returned it i believe all the way to the 45 so they actually lost it so it's like basically getting a five-yard sack uh, going for it on third down. That was the equivalent. That's what happened. What is going to happen when you punt it from your from the opponent's 40-yard line? Most of the time, it's going to go into the end zone. So most of the time, it's going to end up being a single, which you don't want in this situation because guess where it comes right back out to? The 40. So that's what's going to happen most of the time. And when it doesn't happen, the next most likely thing to happen is that you're going to get a flag for no yards. And it's going to be a 15-yard penalty. And so maybe maybe they catch it at the 5 or the 10. Well, now it's a 15-yard penalty and they're back out near where you punted it from anyway. And the reason you're going to get no yards is because it's a much shorter punt that you're covering. You're just not used to it the same way. The punt team is not going down there the same way for a moon ball 30-yard punt than they are for the 48-yard punt, which is Haggerty's average. Uh, they're far more used to that. And so you often get no yards. And instead what happens is that he just didn't kick that cleanly. It was it was low and got to Worthy quickly with a ton of time for him to take it back. And he took full advantage. So yeah, everything about that decision, I, I 
did not like at all. All right, getting back on track, uh, the first half ended 7-3, and I think fans of teams that are not the Argonauts and Alouettes may have tuned out at that point, and that was their loss because the second half got really interesting very quickly. Let's talk about how that began. Toronto gets the ball to start the second half, and, and almost immediately, good things start happening for the Argos. Javon Leak with a 50-yard kickoff return. JB, you must have fell off your chair. <laughs> no, I mean, Leak has shown real uh, waggle when it comes to kick return. The punt return game is still not, 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 not anything. But on kick return, he has definitely shown a gear that they didn't have uh, before. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great to see. And you see in a playoff game how important that is, like how it can absolutely um, change the tenor of a game. So, yeah, it was great to see. And, um, you know, if, if we could figure out a way to get the kicking blocking to punting, then, then we'd really be cooking. I, I want to point out the difference in what it looks like on a Montreal return versus what it looks like on a Toronto return. And this is still, we've talked about this all season long, but uh, there's just such a good example of it. Montreal is so good, just like Ottawa is so good at kick returns, punt returns. It, It was such a contrast when you see Worthy catches the ball and there's three or four Argos you can see in the picture. And each one of them has a Montreal player engaged with them. And when Leak is catching the ball, there are three or four Alouettes in the picture and maybe one of them is engaged and the other three are running free about to upend Leak. And so, of course, the Toronto returners are not being successful. They just aren't blocking that well. I know we're not talking about postseason and next year's offseason for a while now, but if there's one thing they are going to fix for next year, they have got to find and bring in backup players that aren't necessarily known because these aren't going to be your really expensive guys. These are guys guys that are great special teams blockers. They need to bring those guys in. I think they made they made a point of looking to fix an area of concern last year in special teams, which was punt protection. You remember how many punts we saw blocked or almost blocked last year. They did fix that issue. This year, it has got to be finding players that can protect on those returns, that can pick up a block downfield. It's a really difficult thing to do. It's one of the most difficult skills and most underrated skills in football is being able to block a guy that has so much space. It's not the same as blocking someone on the on the, on the the line. Somebody Blocking somebody over a course of 50 yards, a 50-yard run, when they have 65 yards of width to work with, it's really difficult. And so not everybody can do it. Most people can't do it. The Argonauts don't have a lot of guys on their team that can do it, and they need to fix that desperately. Because aside from this one return, that was a that was a high for the season, the 50-yard kickoff return that that we saw start that third quarter. That was a Toronto high, uh, and and it completely set them up. But there needs to be more of that. It can't just happen once a season where you've got to play like that, and it's it just starts with the blocking. The very next play, no, it was one play after that. Uh, there was an incomplete pass, and then it's the touchdown to Curly Gittins Jr. I want to talk about this play because I'm I'm a little skeptical on this. Curly Gittins Jr. runs a post dig, and McLeod Bethel Thompson throws it sort of back shoulder behind him. Curly Gittins Jr. makes a great adjustment, uh, turns himself around, and is able to run the final 13 yards into the end zone for the touchdown to Patrono up 14-3. Was that an intentional 
back shoulder. I don't see a lot of back shoulders on digs or post dig routes. You see them a lot in go routes. <laughs> no. I don't know if I've ever seen an intentional back shoulder there. Was that a, a savvy veteran throw or was that a misfire? Yeah, I think that was. Well, I think it was just a great play by the receiver um, to to adapt, to adjust to the ball. I, I look, that would be pretty amazing. Usually, you don't see back shoulders when the player is running, uh, you know, perpendicular to them. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it was just a little behind them and really great reaction. Yeah, I think it's just McLeod saying, look, I my guy's down there. I just got to give him a chance and throw him the ball. I don't think it was planned like that. It's just, look, I've got one-on-one with my maybe my best receiver, certainly one of the guys I'm most comfortable with. Let's see if let's see if Curly can go make a play. And and he certainly did. But yeah, I will I will always defend McLeod Bethel Thompson. I've been a big fan of his this season. I think he's played great football. They talked on the broadcast about that being a terrific throw. I think that's more a terrific catch from the receiver. And I think where you give Bethel Thompson credit is trusting his guys to make plays. And that I do give him credit for. But it was a bit of a, it was, I don't think it was a good throw. I think it was a great catch. So Toronto is in the driver's seat at that point. And then let's talk about that safety. So uh, Montreal adds a field goal, uh, 14-6 at that point. And then we have the safety play. This one, I, I still don't understand. I've, I've watched this a few times. I don't even really understand the process of how this went down. And I, I want to explain this to you. So from talking to a few people on the team and from the league, there's disagreement in terms of who reviewed this play or how this was called and certainly it was not clear on the broadcast and even still like like right now was it it like i did not i didn't understand what happened and then the announcers just were like oh and then here we go i'm like "What? what what is happening that was not the call 30 seconds ago so let's go through safety gate and what went down on that play so the play was a second and 16 play from the montreal four Harris backs up into the end zone. He's under all sorts of pressure from Jaguar Davis. And he flicks the ball towards William Stanback. It falls short of Stanback. And the initial call I saw on the field, which was echoed by the public address announcer and by the broadcast, was that they said it was an incomplete pass. Now, I didn't see any referee signal incomplete, but that is the audio I heard. And so I have to trust that the public address announcer and and the broadcast team saw somebody waving for an incomplete pass. And then suddenly we see the, the, the challenge uh, flag um, logo or, or banner up on the screen. And Coach Dinwiddie's talking to officials, and it seems like this is being challenged. And that's what it says still right now on the on the CFL website. It says that play was reviewed uh, because of a coach's challenge and that it was overturned. So the, the official scoring of that play is that it was an incomplete pass intended for Stanbeck and that it was overturned on a review initiated by the Toronto head coach, Coach Dinwiddie. And they instead called it a sack by Jaguera Davis for a safety. This doesn't make, there's, there's something wrong here because there's no chance that that's a sack. If that's a sack, it means, unless there was an early whistle that we didn't hear. And I think that's the only way out of this where that could be a sack because he clearly lets go of the ball well before 
he's brought to the ground. I'm not even sure he ever was brought to the ground, but he, he throws that pass out. And it's not even a fumble because he very clearly has a grip on the football as he flicks it towards Stanback. And we talked about the play earlier, that 59-yard screen pass or whatever that ridiculousness was to Walter Fletcher. How is that play any different than this play, JB? Uh, it's true. It, it's, it seems, to, if, if I were to guess, because I know I was yelling at my television, uh, as I want to do, uh, the, the league, in its attempt to protect quarterbacks, and if you you know touch a quarterback or say a mean word toward them, then that's going to be a roughing the passer. They're going to have to adapt and start calling plays dead when quarterbacks are in the grasp. Because if you don't want quarterbacks pile drive to the ground, then you're going to have to call plays dead faster. Because if you're going to let a quarterback who's in the grasp throw a ball, get rid of a ball, whatever, yada, 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 then you can't penalize the defender for pile driving the quarterback. So my guess is on some level, the league understands that. And while they're not openly calling it yet, that is what they would like to see. They would like to see more in the grasp whistles. But then I want to hear a whistle. I went back no, trying well, I, to hear. I put, didn't. I think that's where, I mean, I think centrally they haven't maybe made this order. Um, two referees yet, but centrally, that's what they would like to see. They would like to see referees blow plays dead faster, which I think is fair. You know, I, I, you have to call the whistle in the grasp if you're going to penalize defensive ends for throwing quarterbacks to the ground. You can't have both. So he was clearly in the grasp. That has to be a whistle. I, I felt like they were overruling the referees. That was That was my take anyway. Yeah, I, I get that too. But then how about an explanation? Like, well, how about well, a referee coming out explain. and explaining? They don't want to. This is a secret rule change. Because I, like, I feel sorry for the broadcast crew at that point because they were in the dark like we were. And they're trying, you know, it's their job to explain it. And they're probably looking at each other like, do you have any idea what, what happened on that play? Because I don't. And, you know, we're, we're relying on them for that. And they, they can't possibly know because no one explained it. No referee came out and said, here's what happened. And I don't care how referees word it, but give us an explanation. Tell us why suddenly there's a safety on the board and, and why Toronto is now suddenly up 16 to 6. So then, JB, that we get to that controversial moment we talked about before, the punt. And this is where mom momentum really swung. It's 16-6. Toronto punts from Montreal's 40. Worthy returns it. And now Montreal has all the momentum. They score a touchdown pass to uh, Winnicky to make it 16-13. Then they get a field goal uh, to make it 16-all. And now there's seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Toronto hasn't done anything offensively for a while now. And Bethel Thompson does one of his uh, switch flicks and goes on fire again, has another perfect drive completing every single pass as he leads the Argos downfield for like a 75-yard touchdown drive. And it ends with a, a QB sneak from Chad Kelly for the touchdown. That was an impressive response. And again, Another reason, it wasn't his best day statistically, it was fine. But another reason you look at McLeod Bethel-Thompson as having changed. This is not 
what I would have expected to see from Bethel Thompson even last year, but certainly not in 2019. And you're getting that time and time again. When the Argos absolutely need a drive, they need someone to make a play, they need someone on offense to step up, he delivers. And what can you say? A perfect drive all the way down field, ending in a touchdown with the game on the line, and they march it in with 223 left in the fourth quarter. It's 23-16. And the way the, the Argos defense was playing at that point, I thought the game was over. I didn't think there was any way Montreal was going to come down the field and score a touchdown with two minutes left. And I imagine you've got to be on the same boat. Um, no, I I did not have that same level of confidence. Um, you know, just that's how the CFL goes. And I have seen too many hurry-up offenses be able to push the ball on the Argos. I, I, I wasn't sure Montreal was going to score, but... I felt like there was a decent shot they were going to score. They they had moved the ball pretty efficiently the entire game in the air. Yeah, but Toronto's defense just doesn't let up that many touchdowns. And especially if you're going to have to take the whole field to do it. I just didn't see that happening. And remember, it got to, it was second and 18 at one point, and they were able to convert. And even the touchdown came on a third and four play where Lewis just got free Lewis's. Lewis is tough to cover, man. He's he's got to be if he's not the best receiver in the CFL, he's top three. Yeah, he. I mean, he, they got beaten. I mean, they didn't get beaten, but in essence, on those plays, they were beaten by a star. That that sideline catch when he went up and got it, the the double move to get into the end zone. I mean, sometimes sometimes a star beats you. You know. That, Can I that, rant that, one more time? There. Can I rant one more time about? A zone coverage in <laughs> inside the 10 yard line yep. it wasn't on that play I think on that play they actually were in man and he was just able to shake him but they did it on the earlier touchdown they they were again in zone coverage down there why JB you're a defensive coordinator tell me why on earth a team would want to play zone mm-hmm. that close to the end zone uh, uh, you feel that you can't stay with anyone um uh, that's you know that's all I can that's all I can really see is you just feel like your guys cannot cannot keep up with any of the other teams. But uh, yeah, I, I know some people love that the the, the zone defense down there. Um, to me, there's there, like there's only one thing that can go wrong when you play man, and there's four things that can go wrong when you play zone. Uh, the Heineke touchdown, classic example of a bust. Like I'm just pro man. And if a guy gets beat, a guy gets beat. Like, you know, if you look, if, you, if a guy shakes you, you know, double the best receiver. And then if everybody else gets shaken, then you get shaken. But I, I can't stand watching bus where a guy catches the ball and there's not an Argo within eight yards of him. You know, just go, go man down there. I, it, I just think it's the better call. And then Montreal's big mistake was leaving 30 seconds on the clock for the Argos. And again, hats off to McLeod Bethel-Thompson. He goes three for three, gets Toronto down to the Montreal 41-yard line. In 25 seconds, it took him to do that. And they set up for the game-winning field goal. Let's talk about this one for a little bit because I want to defend Boris Beattie on this field goal miss. So he misses the 47-yard field goal. He misses it just to the right, kind of like he missed that that first kick it it looked the same to me it just drifted to the right this one I completely excuse him for because of the situation it's the last play of regulation he is above all else trying to kick that through the end zone yes he wants to actually hit the field goal 
but he knows a single point wins it and he's got to kick it 61 yards to get it out the back of the end zone and he kicked it exactly 61 yards so I give him the pass on that I know people say well that's that's choking under pressure or whatever in the Canadian football game Canadian football league game on the last play when you only need a single point the priority is length not accuracy and so he just booted it as hard as he could you're hoping it goes through that'd be great but if it misses you're just hoping it has the distance to get out and it did so i i forgive him for that miss yeah same like he you know he he it just missed and he clearly was given a little extra gas to make sure it went out the back you know i i agree with you i think that that's that's perfectly fine and he got enough height on it where it was going to go over the uprights too. There was no chance of it hitting the upright because that would also be a, a kiss of death if it hits the uprights because now it's a dead ball and we're going to overtime. But yeah, that's that's completely the right move. So anyone that's upset at Boris Beattie's missed field goal attempt at the end, it really wasn't a missed field goal. And I did have some people asking about why don't you just punt in that situation? Far lower percentage. The odds of because you need a sixty you you need a sixty one yard punt. Yeah, no, uh, no, to, no, no, to get that ruse. That's not the play that's that's not what you want to do so you've got to you got no, to kick it, it through. was a good kick it was i mean it, it was good situational kicking yeah no exactly and and you had the montreal penalty for for too many men on the field uh, that that was a little bit of a, a bonus because if bd hadn't gotten that out the back of the end zone they would have been able to kick again but they didn't need to because they got the single point because uh worthy was standing on the back of the end zone when he caught that ball so it was immediately blown dead as soon as worthy touched it he's out of bounds that's automatically a single so they declined the penalty uh yeah huge win jb let's talk about players of the game and there's a lot to go around here i have a feeling we might be settling on the same people though uh starting defensively i i think we both have to be saying enoch muamba on this yeah muamba probably his best game as an argo uh, obviously, he's fired up to play in Montreal. Uh, he was all over the place. He had that amazing blitz. I love seeing him come in that A-gap blitz. Uh, he almost had a pick in a pass breakup. Um, you know, middle run, he was he was solid. Goal line stands. Uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was absolutely um, the, you know, the tone setter for that defense out there. Yeah, his energy was unreal. It, I haven't seen him like that because he's he's usually he's for the style of play that he features. He's actually a pretty calm guy, and he did not look like that in this game. He was fired up. You saw just the opening play of the game when he knocked Stan back to the ground. He stood over him and, and flexed. And I don't think I've ever seen Enoch Muama do that. That's not his style. But he was just so jacked up to to win this game. And when I saw that play, I thought, okay, this is this is a team leader that is not going to let his team lose today and you got a couple guys playing like that and uh, yeah it's it's going to be a win so that was great to see yeah I, i'm i'm with him for defensive player of the game too nine tackles quarterback sack a tip pass that almost led to a pick like you said and, and almost got a pick himself that was that was a huge game from him a lot of other players played well i thought it was a really nice game from from sean oakman too but i think we we have to give it to enoch muamba uh, offensive player of the game. This is a little tougher. Uh, looking at some of the some of the stats, like Bethel Thompson played pretty well. Sixty nine percent completions, two hundred and forty yards isn't huge, but it's good. Two touchdowns. Uh, Olette had a nice game. Fourteen carries for ninety two yards, averaging six point six. Where, where are you going for offensive player? Yeah, both those guys were were good. I, I, you know, I guess to kind of change it up, uh, I, I thought Curly Gittins Jr. 
uh, was terrific. You know, he kind of took the 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 reign of the number one receiver, and was uh, you know vital in their drives. Um, I thought he was their yeah. I thought he was their best receiver. And uh, look, I loved Olette. I think I gave it to Olette last game. I thought he played great. And he's made himself a starting running back, which is amazing. But uh, I'm going to give it to Curly Gittens this time. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Seven catches on eight targets, 117 yards and a touchdown. That's that's a huge performance. Yeah. Seven of eight. That's so that's so big. If you're catching seven of eight targets, that's you're doing something right. And it just speaks to the relationship between he and and Bethel Thompson. So yeah, that was that was a massive massive uh, game from Curly Gittens Jr. And they needed a receiver to step up. He was the guy because the next the next leading receiver was Diverse Daniels with three catches for 51. So huge game from Curly Gittens Jr. I'm going to go a little bit off script here for our player of the game on offense. I'm going to give it to the entire offensive line. I know that's cheating a little bit. It's not one guy. It's really tough to pick one guy. I will say I continue to be impressed with Ryan Hunter since he has started in Toronto since he has actually not even since he started since he started playing in Toronto so that the Calgary game where he first had his debut basically at the end of the first quarter if you count these these games these four games since Toronto is averaging over six yards a carry since then it's it's a massive number and for them to be doing this in four consecutive games against four different teams suggests very strongly that he has made a difference. It happened to coincide with the arrival of Hunter. Now, looking at this game specifically, it's not just him. The whole offensive line played very well. They kept McLeod Bethel-Thompson clean for the most part. They were run blocking extremely well. Uh, Yeah, Bethel-Thompson had a lot of time to throw. They made everything happen. So Bethel-Thompson's good game. Curly Gittins Jr.'s good game. A.J. Olette's good game. All of that comes back to the offensive line playing one of their best games of the season. I think this probably was their best game of the season. So the entire offensive line gets my offensive player of the game. And where are you going for play of the game, JB? Uh, as mad as it might be, I think the the Jones interception uh, changed the entire direction of that game. Montreal comes down, they score first. Crowd is going bonkers. Um, you know, you, the, you, you don't want to play that on the road. All the ghosts of all those losses in Montreal start coming back. Um, just changed the whole feeling of the game. Um, for the defense, you know, you get that feeling of you don't get pushed off the field on that opening drive. I, I think that that opening pick um, absolutely changed the game. Yeah, that was huge. And mine's really similar. I'm going with the third down stuff on the on the Toronto one yard line. Same thing. It just it could have sent the game in a whole different direction. Montreal would love to have been in front because they're a run first team. They're a very dangerous run first team. If Montreal can build up a lead and then throw Antwi and Stanback and Fletcher at you repeatedly for the entire second half, Toronto was in trouble if that was the situation. And that third and one was huge. Toronto was able to bounce back with that 109-yard touchdown drive from Bethel Thompson to take a 7-0 lead. That was that was the swing. That was, that was huge. And I know Montreal tied it up again late, but this would have been a very different ballgame if Montreal goes up 7-0. Well, that will just about do it for us on this uh, post-game reaction, several days late post-game reaction podcast. Uh, For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.
fight the foe. 